Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here with another Gospel Rant, number 109. We're looking at just how much shame is evident in the eight Oscar Best Picture nominated films. So why, why are we doing this? I mean, who wants to talk about shame anyway? I don't. Psychologists tell you that shame by nature hides. Who wants to admit that we have it or that we've allowed someone to shame us? Or if they have, say in our family of origin or recently, then certainly I have the capability to just make a decision and get over it and move on, right? But that's, that's just not how shame works. The more we know about shame, the more we can see its destructive, disintegrating effects in our lives, in our relationships with each other, and Jesus followers, very importantly, with our relationship with God. It can deteriorate our joy and worship and prayer and Bible study, right? So clearly, we can see shame's fingerprints all over our culture, and it's definitely evident in the eight best-nominated uh, films for Best Picture. And I hope that this will help us begin to talk about shame in our churches, in our relationships, our small groups, uh, this is why we're using a podcast, by the way, because I mean, right now, no judgment, a lot of churches are just not comfortable talking about shame. It's, it's toxic, and it's a downer, and it makes us look bad, right? And I get it. So we use podcasts. If talking about shame in the comfort of your own living room is too outrageous for you, then don't. If you want to shame me for doing it, uh, first of all, don't do it. But if you really have to, email me at gospelappspamfolder.com. All right, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're not going to get back to you in 24 hours. We're just not. <laughs> Many, though, good news, have asked where they can uh, get more information on how we can learn how to preach the gospel on a day-to-day -day basis to my own shame. So check out the website, www.gospel-app.com. Lots of stuff there, uh, articles, blogs, resources, uh, how you can learn to preach the gospel to your guilt, shame, relational attachment wounds, and that would include your insecurities, fears, anxiety, and avoidance in relationships, and your addictions. Real stuff, right? For real people in the real world. The gospel, that sounds like Jesus to me. All right, enough of that. Bohemian Rhapsody, great film. I loved it. It's a controversial queen biopic starring Rami Malek as the mega-talented gay lead singer-superstar Freddie Mercury. I am a big Queen fan. I love the movie. I love the soundtrack. A lot of things I didn't know. Uh, and again, there's lots of conversation about what's real and what's what's made up. And okay, that's fine. We're going to take the film at face value. <clears throat> Freddie is born Farooq Bolsara, a British Indian Farsi, to a conservative Zoroastrian refugee family who believes in wise choices, careful life planning, a steady hard working at a career that's stable and safe, right? You get the idea? Well, that's not Freddie. And his father doesn't mince words with the dreamer, artistic, flamboyant Farouk. It just seems obvious to me from the get-go that, that Freddie, just, just like typical young adults, doesn't want to be told who he is, particularly not by your dad, and how to live your life, particularly not by your dad, but also... Like most young adults, he desperately wants the respect and love of his father. He, want to, he wants to hear his father say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, right? Very biblical. And he knows that his career and sexuality choices, his explorations, his experiments don't live up to his dad's expectations. They just don't. And he certainly believes, he has, has to, that his father, uh, whether he says it or not, is ashamed of him. 
So Freddie lashes out. I get it. I would too. That's my brain. So how did all of your life choices work out for you, Dad? I mean, that's not a direct quote, but it was an in-your-face moment early on in the film. Shame people do that. It, it's fight, flight, freeze, cycle, fear cycle in our amygdala, and we just ignite. Cortisol shuts down our frontal cortex, and we say things. And in Freddie's case, he fights, and he does things that are counterpurpose to his bottom line goal, which appears obvious that, that he wanted his dad's respect and honor. And it certainly, uh, that explosion certainly didn't make his dad more proud of him, right? And no judgment, I get it. All right, so Freddie early on rejects his father's life philosophy and, uh, and his father, right? Uh, but clearly, it's clear that he doesn't know what he wants to be or who he is or who he wants to become. And so the film could be, described as Freddie trying to find himself, trying to find love and acceptance uh, and community and real friendships and family, but failing over and over and over again. I mean, it's just a, a train wreck. Uh, like most people who struggle with shame, Freddie has a hard time distinguishing between healthy relationships and unhealthy ones. Why? Because shame does that in our brain. It disintegrates our ability to form deep, intimate bonds. It just does. It loves boundaries. It loves paranoia. It loves fear. And so it's ironic, but it happens all the time that superstar Freddie with thousands, tens of thousands, millions of adoring friends, quote unquote, is lonely most of the time. Uh, look, did you know that according to a recent study, one out of three adults, 33%, over 45 in the United States are categorized as lonely? Wow. I think shame has a lot to do with it. It's time we started talking about it. All right, so who is Freddy? Those who want to hurt him, uh, demean him, bully him, uh, disrespect him, call him a Paki, right? Derogatory term for Pakistani, uh, which he's not. He struggles with his sexuality, straight, bi, gay, he's not sure. He seems to waver back and forth. Early scene, he's trying to find his look, how he wants to present the, the mask he wears, right? And I'm not judging when I say that. I'm just saying this is what he's doing. He's trying on women's clothing, and he wants to be accepted and outrageous at the same time. He, he wants to be seen as provocative and exotic to his new girlfriend. And so here's what he says. I can't think of anyone more outrageous than me. And you have to wonder if, if that's really Freddie or is that his brain subconscious desperate attempt to get attention and approval that, right, he didn't get from his family. Um, Freddie, he's a seeker. He's a searcher. He, he's desperate. One lover turned betrayer, says of Freddie. He's a frightened little packy boy who is afraid to be alone. Man, that's a cold shot. It's cruel. It's meant to hurt. But you know what? It, it was also insightful. I think Freddie was presented in the movie as being afraid to be alone and alone a lot of the time. Uh, one of Freddie's lovers says to Freddie, come and find me when you like yourself. Uh, I think that's insightful as well. I mean, shame is ultimately, I don't really like who I am. Shame's MO. Well, I would suggest that the movie portrays Freddie really desperately looking to feel loved for who he is. And he only seems to find it at the end of the movie and tragically the end of his life. Now, having said that, his shame and search for family is one of the things that I believe makes Queen so vastly popular. When asked by an agent who is Queen, Freddie says, and I think he's spot on, we are four misfits who don't belong together playing to other misfits. 
the outcasts right at the back of the room who are pretty sure they don't belong either. We belong to them. We are a family. I mean, there it is. I mean, I think that's Queen. Prophetically, they were lonely artists, um, pseudo-successful, right? Not really successful. They were looking for who they really were. Were they dentists or musicians, scientists or musicians, baggage handlers or musicians? And trying to live up to some, any expectations of people whose opinion they care about. They're looking for acceptance and love and family and living up to some expectations. They're singing to and on behalf of so many others who are lonely and looking for honor and acceptance, love and family. Right? Queen. It's a great scene at the Live Aid concert where people, real people, people like me, like most of us, who I suspect were also looking to live up for, to expectations set for them by their own mirrors, families, friends, careers, critical conservative fathers. And now here at Wembley Stadium, they find themselves together with the royalty of Audi's Queen. And Queen gives these regular people who regularly fall short of expectations around them a voice. And it is a powerful, moving scene, worth the price of admission to see that scene. Look, listen to some of Queen's uh, hits, the lyrics, and you can hear it. You can hear the, the... the, the band for misfits. Check out some of the portrayal of survivors and underdogs looking for a win, looking to live up to expectations, looking to be honored and recognized for that, looking to be somebody. All right, listen. Can anybody find me somebody to love? Each morning I get up, I die a little, can barely stand on my feet, take a look in the mirror and cry. Lord, what are you doing to me? I've spent all my years in believing you, but I just can't get no relief. Lord, somebody, oh, somebody, can anybody find me somebody to love? I work hard every day of my life. I work till I ache in my bones. At the end of the day, I take home my hard-earned pay all on my own, right? There's that loneliness. I get down on my knees and I start to pray till the tears run down from my eyes. Lord, somebody, somebody, can anybody find me somebody to love? There's more. Every day I try and I try and I try, but everybody wants to put me down. You get the bullying. They say I'm going crazy. They say I got lots of water in my brain. I got no common sense. I got nobody left to believe in. Oh, Lord, I got no feel. I got no rhythm. I just keep losing my beat, right? You hear the disintegration of shame. I'm okay. I'm all right. I ain't going to face no defeat. I just got to get out of this prison cell. One day I'm going to be free, Lord. Find me somebody to love. Right? Disintegration and shame, denial and hope, wishful thinking. I mean, me too, queen. Or this other hit. Buddy, you're a boy. Make a big noise playing in the street. Gonna be a big man someday. You got mud on your face, you big disgrace. Kicking your can all over the place, singing, we will, we will rock you. We will, we will rock you. Buddy, you're a young man, hard man, shouting in the street. Gonna take on the world someday. You get the repeat of the someday. It's, it's... People who aren't living up to their expectations. You got blood on your face, your big disgrace, waving your banner all over the place, right? Being flamboyant, trying to get in people's faces, trying to get noticed. We will, we will rock you. Sing it. Buddy, you're an old man, poor man, pleading with your eyes, going to get you some peace someday. You got mud on your face, big disgrace. Somebody better put you back into your place. Do it. We will, we will rock you. You get the, you get the sense of exclusion. Dreams achieved, right? Me too, queen. Or check out lyrics. I'm not going to do them, but the show must go on. It's written during Freddie's final struggle with AIDS. Uh, Wikipedia writes, the lyrics of show must go on are full of allusions and metaphors and other figures of speech, making it difficult to understand. Thinly disguised tragedy ahead is announced. In the end, the text refers to the determination, the furious desire to live. 
quote, I have to find the will to carry on with the show in spite of vanishing strength, quote, inside my heart is breaking, my makeup may be flaking, but I can't keep it going. It's a theme song, man. And, and check, check out this one, right? This, uh, here, here was the big finale. We are the champions of the world. Uh, the theme song for hopeful outsider wannabe insiders. I've paid my dues time after time. I've done my sentence but committed no crime and bad mistakes. I've made a few. I've had my share of sand kicked in my face, but I've come through. We are the champions, my friends, and we'll keep on fighting to the end. Right? So look, the idea is even though it doesn't look like we're, we're winning, to tell you the truth, we're really champions. And let's just keep singing this. No time for losers because we're the champions of the world. I've taken my bows, my curtain calls. You brought me fame and fortune. And everything goes with it. I thank you all. But it's been no bed of roses, no pleasure cruise. And I consider it a challenge before the whole human race. I ain't going to lose. Bullied, overlooked, unnoticed, mistake riddled. You know, why do I keep making mistakes? What's wrong with me? And yet I'm going to cry out again. We're the champions, my friends. All of us, not just those overachievers who actually win. Yeah, me too, queen. <laughs> Look, here's a thought. Maybe Queen's music is like a personal take-home shame meter, you know, like a take-home insulin blood test or a pregnancy test. All right, that's, that's not good. I, I guess I'm over the, all over the board with metaphors, so all right, I'm going to focus. The idea is if you notice while you're listening to the AIDS Light Africa scene in the movie and you felt tears forming and you just wanted to cry out, Me Too Queen, then you know, likely you have some shame going on. Ride that wave. In a shame culture... You can only know if you're acceptable, good or bad, if the culture says so, right? It's not on you. And that would include your family and friends and fans, those who say they're family and friends and fans. Do those around you exclude you or honor you today? And honestly, it's, it's pretty fleeting. You can be voted off the island in a moment, right? Shame-prone people will jump through any hoops just to not be ejected as if we can control it. It hurts too much. So we'll not say what's on our mind. Or we'll say what's on our mind in a very flamboyant, aggressive way uh, in, in, in hopes that we won't be touched. See, our brain registered such loneliness as a real pain. Shame cultures like ours, honestly, it's built on threats of exclusion. I mean, that doesn't sound very enjoyable. Uh, so are you in this religion or that religion, this mother tongue or that, uh, some other mother tongue, this skin color or some other skin color? Are you in this socioeconomic background or that or on the pop charts or not, including the Live Aid concert or not, signed to this record label or not, this sexuality or not, this political party or not? Are you bi or, or, or uh, trans or, or hetero? This extreme this political party or not, or this extreme of that party or not, in such shame culture that we're in, you can't just disagree and have a resolution. You can't reach a compromise. If you don't buy in totally, you will be excluded. You will be shamed. And it's not nice. See, it's a never-ending horrible game of risk. You could be included today based on X, but tomorrow you could say something, do something, and then be totally excluded because of Y. Right? No rest. There are no permanent standards in a culture based on exclusion. Everything's shifting. The judgment of the crowd today is different from tomorrow, right? Remember Jesus and, and the crowd? Crucify him, crucify him. In the end, this toxic mix doesn't make anyone safe and accepted for, so, for long. We talk about stress and identity confusion. It's a bouillon base of oversensitivity and overreaction and, and frequent moral panics. 
Who are you today? Which side of the wave are you on right now? You got to say, choose. Are you going to be excluded, rejected, shamed if you say something or don't say anything? Look, per the movie, Freddie found acceptance and peace, apparently a loving relationship towards the end of his life, uh, which didn't last long tragically because of AIDS. Jesus followers, we're not immune to the seismic waves of our shame culture. And matter of fact, an argument could be made that we are part of the problem in many ways. The vast majority of millennials believe that the Church of Jesus is intolerant, exclusive, and homophobic. And I would prefer to be known as those uh, who follow Jesus, who proclaim his gospel that can free any shamed or shaming person from the stranglehold of that same shame. This gospel of Jesus right, that should represent us, is so powerful that it can make even the most self-despising person, whether they have an overbite, whether they fail to live up to the expectation of their fathers and think their dad is ashamed of them, or they want to try on women's clothes and makeup or not, or how outrageous they want to be, even if it offends people, no matter what mistakes they've made to date, no matter how lonely, how rejected, it can make that person feel the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for them as they are right now. It can find them somebody to love, right? And shame has an enemy. Why are we so quiet about it, Jesus followers? Shame has an antidote. Why are we holding on to it and not taking it ourselves? This new power not only can erase shame, just a little bit, right, on a day-to-day basis, not perfect, that's heaven, but it can displace it with a powerful effect of honor and love. Right? That's the, the beauty of the present gospel, the present blood of Christ. What if, and imagine if Freddie felt, and maybe he did, I don't know, What if he felt that God, strictly because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, if he felt just how proud he was of Freddie or Farouk or whatever he wants to call himself? What if God, right, the God of the Bible, called him and Freddie heard it? And he heard him say, beloved son, you're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Light on, light off, light on, light off. If you see the movie, you know what I'm talking about. What might have changed? How would the story have been different? In heaven, strictly because of what Jesus has done for me, on my behalf, not at all based upon what I've done, I know that I've found somebody to love. All right, enough ranting. Shame meter. Look, Bohemian Rhapsody has to be over an eight. I'm going to say nine, because Freddie is a poster child for an unhappy person who shouldn't be unhappy. He's so disintegrated by shame uh, in his search for identity and relationships. And it's not until the end that there is some shalom, uh, some reconciliation with his dad. But that's, that seems like a, that was a very poorly written scene. And it seems more like his dad's movement than Freddy's. Right. I get it. No judgment. But the movie is an expose of our shame culture. And, and, and the movie is 20 years old, 30 years old. I don't like how shaming we've become. But I also get it that it's there. And, and I'm part of the problem. We are part of the problem. So look, we definitely need to be talking about it as Jesus followers and learning how to preach the gospel to our shame first and then graciously without judgment to others. So Oscar, uh, do I think it'll win the Oscar? You know, I definitely think it's going to win some Oscars. Definitely best Oscar for Rami Malek, maybe best editing, sound editing. It can win best picture. And by the way, I think it should, but it's not getting Musk much Oscar buzz at all, and that's too bad. All right. Do you want to know more about how to preach the gospel to your shame? Check out website, www.gospelapp.com. Take heart, child of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. 
Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared to You podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared to Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.